Chi, hay fever strikes today. So I am nasally. I can hear myself and I can hear my nasals. You know, you can hear um, you, yourself being stuffy. Yeah, um, yeah. But I'm here. Thoughts and prayers, Baz, and any Thanks. other hay fever sufferer Anyone. out there. Any, any, any tips? This is, a, we, this is a podcast where we talk about our body and things that are happening to our bodies. So any hay fever tips where, you know, you can sustain cream on your nose. This is what I need to look after, the skin around my nostrils. Oh. That's what, what do you do for the skin around your nostrils? I mean, I just feel like there's nothing that can be done really apart from just to constantly have Vaseline around there. But Vaseline is also a bit drying Vaseline. from my perspective. Yeah, it's drying, um, yeah. But I just think you need to go speak to your doctor and get some prescriptions in. That's my only yeah, advice maybe. to you. Thanks you need so the hard much. stuff. <laughs> How are you? How's your week? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. How are you? Mm. Sniffling. Good, good. Yeah, sniffly, but good. I've moved <laughs> home. You know when you, I think when you change environment, because I've moved flat recently over the weekend, you change environment and your whole sort of like energy changes. It's really mm. interesting. So yeah. I think that's where I'm at. I'm suddenly recalibrating my sort of mental health a little bit. It's quite funny. Yeah, nice. In case you didn't know, you are listening to the Unpretty Podcast, where we explore perceptions of beauty through the lens of black and non-black people of colour. So I finally, after our fantastic episode with Niche Rome and Joy Crooks, I got my first tattoos. I got two. You got two in one go? I got two in one I go. I didn't know that. I, I did. You just got the one. No, I got... I did your little Instagram poll and I voted. Well, those two. that was the main one. That was the main, the headline event. That was what I was mm. um, getting people to vote on. Where did you yeah. do them? Went to the same studio that Niche works at, actually, called Femme Fatale. But it was cool. a lovely girl called Elise who, oh my God, I'm going to link to Elise's Instagram and Femme Fatale's Instagram because it was just the loveliest experience. Also, nice. not that painful. That's what I've been up to. What did you do? Good for you. I did nothing but move house. I lifted boxes. I unpacked boxes. I moved more boxes. I realized that I have not eaten anything but some jollof I was handed on Friday. And that's been bowls of jollof for the last four days. Oh my and god, like, jollof for I need days. To eat some other food. Jollof for days. <laughs> I've just been sent the Super Goop Unseen Sunscreen, Ooh. which was recommended by Jules Von Hep on our episode on yeah. um, SPF and tanning. And I posted it on Instagram, and my Ooh. dear friend replied saying, Game changer. So wow. I haven't tried it out yet, but it's only SPF 30, the unseen sunscreen. So I think it's going to be my indoor go-to or an outdoor top-up. Ooh. And does it smell nice? Have you tried it? Have you put oh. it on your skin? I haven't actually. I'm always <laughs> interested in how these things smell. Because will they overpower your actual perfume? That's always my question. Oh my God. It's like a gel. That's what I thought it would be. It looked it, From the packaging, it looked gel-like. It doesn't smell of anything. Oh, that's good. Then it won't overpower. That's good. Let me know how it goes and if we should buy it. I shall, I shall. What have you been trying? I actually don't know that I've tried anything new. I've been oiling my skin. I've had really bad eczema because of the heat. When it's really hot, I get a heat rash, which kind of turns into eczema. My oh. brother actually recommended uh, CeraVe. Um, oh, he yeah. swears by it yeah so he swears by it and he's just like just try it on your don't put it on just like a little bit of your skin put it over your whole body so I've been doing that it hasn't necessarily reduced the eczema it just takes off the sting when it's really itchy mm-hmm. um, so actually I would love some eczema heat rash recommendations while the sun is hitting us like no other because heat rash is real I definitely suffer from it anyway shall we get into the episode let's get into the episode Today we're talking about body hair and perceptions of body hair. I think, you know, anyone who has been on the internet over the last couple of years will have seen a real body hair movement happening. Yeah, I would say so, yeah. Yep, you're right. Yeah, and um, it's important to talk about because I think body hair has a lot of stigmas around it mm-hmm. for women, not really for men. I think men can probably be as hair as they want. Mm-hmm partially I think for women it's a real talking point and actually not something I've discussed with my friends 
past what are you removing yes rather than what are you doing yeah (laughs) all right should we introduce our guests we should so first of all we have henna amin henna is an activist and writer for titles such as galdem she created her blog henna speaks to be a safe space where she explores topics including race feminism and identity as well as her experiences as a woman of color and also joining us, we have Marissa Malik. Marissa is an artist, astrologer and DJ. She's known as one of the UK's go-to authorities on diasporic magic and modern witchcraft, which Ooh. I'm obsessed with, yeah. and is the resident horoscope writer for Galdem. Welcome. So guys, we like to ask our guests at the beginning, how do you identify ethnically and culturally? No problem. Because sometimes they're two different things. Uh, so Henna, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I'm. I feel like I ident. I would. I mean, yeah. If I had to like say like formally, I'd say I'm British Punjabi Gujarati because my heritage is from two very different regions of India. So my dad's family are Gujarati, mm-hmm. which is like a state in the west, and then my mum's are Punjabi, mm-hmm. which are from like the north of India. I feel like India is so massive, mm-hmm. and like all the different cultures mm-hmm. within India are so different. We share a lot, but there's a lot of stuff that's different. Yeah. I'm like honouring both sides of that by by saying that. And to be honest, as well, if I'm completely like straight up about it, even the label of like Indian just oh. gives me like ick feelings sometimes because like actual India at the mm. moment, like they are just absolute like the government are just absolutely <laughs> like fucking fascist. So I yeah, also wow. also really like I don't know. I feel like it's yeah it's a bit of a it's a bit of a weird a a weird feeling like it's a bit like sometimes good sometimes bad Mm. and yeah so I feel like that um British Punjabi Gujarati does definitely um encompass me a bit better I think nice I love your explanation of that as well I like the discrepancy between ethnic and cultural that you guys are making so my ethnic heritage is I'm mixed Pakistani and Mexican but like you were saying, Hannah, like I feel similarly ambivalent is probably the right word about Pakistani because before partition, my family were in India. And then we're also, I also come from a line of mm-hmm. Christians in, in Pakistan. So yeah. that religious kind of imposition as well is not there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but I'm, my ethnic heritage is, again, like mixed Mexican and Pakistani. I'm Mexican on my mother's side. But then I grew up in the States. So culturally i'm western i'm american and uh now i live in london Mm -hmm. wow that's why we ask that question we ask them both because that they are two different things Mm. to so many people and it's really interesting that you um are saying that you don't necessarily even you have a weird relationship with the label of being pakistani i've had it very recently because i'm nigerian um like looking at how African nations were formed in fact I've got a quick question about your Mexican heritage I suppose in the UK because obviously in in the US there is a Hispanic community and Hispanic race that's identified I would say but in the in the UK that isn't necessarily that isn't part of the conversation when you look at different ethnic groups do you feel the same? So I feel a few different things. Hispanic is not really a term we, <laughs> I, I personally don't use to refer to myself as. Latinx is kind of a contemporary identifier mm-hmm. and Latinx is not a race. Mm-hmm. So within Latin identity mm-hmm. and Latinx identity, there's lots of different racial characteristics. It is an ethnic tie though, right? So race and ethnicity are not the same. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there is a larger diaspora of Latinx people in the States. Just geographically, that makes sense, but then also because of immigration flows and the relationship colonially. But in the UK, I do find my tie to my heritage here is a bit more disparate at times. I've had to work harder to find community amongst other Latinx Mm -hmm. people here. However, being that I'm a reggaeton DJ Mm -hmm. and like I tend to tour a bit like and meet a lot of different Latin people from and also Spaniards who are not Latinx, um, they are all colonizers from around the world. <laughs> I do feel very comfortable in the the place I hold in community here. Oh, nice. Yeah, sure. Um, I feel like we're getting Amazing. an education from you as well, and that's something that yeah we as Unpretty really feel really is important. That you know, as hosts of this show, we are mm-hmm. still very much learning and. I stand yeah. correct. The both of the de- 
the description no, that you both just did of your your ethnic and your culture is probably is probably the deepest that we've ever had. Like I'd say it's the deepest sort of description of being like, let me just lay this out on the line. Wow. <laughs> Usually people are like, yeah, I'm British and Pakistani and like, yeah, well done, guys. That was amazing. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Um, so we'd love to start off by talking about your both of your childhood experiences in relation to body hair. Did you feel like you were hairy? Was that a thing that you went through at school or was it something that as you developed into womanhood became more of an issue? I mean, I was always like a kind of stereotypically like a hairy brown girl and it was definitely something that I was very aware of like very early in my life. I think the experience mm-hmm. I talk about probably the most is being at school and like never wanting to take off my jumper and like, you know, even in the summer when it would be like so hot. I would not take off my jumper and I would rather just sweat because I didn't want anyone to see my arms and stuff. And, you know, yeah. I got comments like some of the asshole white boys used to call me Chewbacca and stuff like that. Like it was, I mean, oh look, look back at it now and I'm like, wow, that was bullying. But like at the time you yeah. just, I don't know, I was really thick skinned as a kid. So mm. it just <laughs> um, feels like banter when you're a kid, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And we're not really taught like how to deal with that type of thing like I think no shade on my parents or anything but it's just something I just don't think that they necessarily considered needed that they didn't realize they needed to arm us with like the knowledge to like hit mm-hmm. back at them with so I think mm-hmm. I think a lot of my silence came from just not knowing what to say to be honest body hair in general just like obviously it's a huge thing it's just like a cultural norm that you know as soon as it starts showing yeah. you get rid of it for our teenagers and stuff we just do that don't we we just automatically shave and you know wax and all that mm-hmm. all that shit but I like I've got sensitive skin so like my underarms used to like be in bits like they used to be like so red and itchy but I'd carry on shaving because I felt like obviously I had to and that's the thing like I could shave my legs but like my mum was for some reason she was adamant that we were not allowed to shave our arms I mean I'm really Mm. grateful that she never let us do it in the end because now Mm -hmm. I just I'm at a place where I actually can just not care (laughs) yeah for sure Marissa was your experience the same um yeah my my mom started waxing me from like age six or seven. Wow. Yeah, I had a really epic unibrow. It was Mm. difficult because (laughs) it was so apparent how like different I was, especially compared to the other kids. So it was like I would either have like a fringe cut Mm -hmm. or, you know, I'm not shading my mom either. It's something we've addressed later in life and talked about because, you know, my mom – She's like a lot more white passing than I am and doesn't have a similar, like her hair is like not as present as mine. She doesn't have as much hair. Mm -hmm. So I think she saw that and wanted me to fit in, meaning wanted me to adhere to whiteness to make my life easier because assimilationist models teach us that, especially in the States. So she would always straighten my hair. It was really intense. And like, I was just very hyper aware of that part of who I was and I, I fought it for a long time mm-hmm. and it was one of the ways that I always felt my ability to be part of the cult of womanhood was like taken away from me which I think maybe a, mm. a lot of us have similar experiences mm. as women of color. It's so interesting the contrast between Marissa your yeah. mum made decisions whether or not they're your on reflection they were the right ones for you but her intention was to protect you um and I suppose henna you've almost felt like you weren't prepared but there was almost like an innocent there was still the innocence so you had the innocence and Marissa (laughs) you didn't necessarily get to experience that definitely it's interesting because you both related straight away to your mothers and the relationship of your mothers and how you were taught you know hair removal or shaving or waxing do you remember seeing the women in your family partaking in hair removing rituals. I know like in Sudan, we have like this like sugar kind of like waxing thing that happens that is just like pushed on and pulled off. And I don't know if other cultures do that. Do you guys remember any sort of like culturally the women taking part in things like that? For me, it was like, I do remember like, because I obviously when we were younger as well like I remember like my upper lip was really like was and is really hairy and um we would like kind of every couple of weeks we would like get the hair removal cream out or like on the weekend <laughs> and like do that and then like mm. my my aunt she used to be a beautician so she used to have like all the wax and stuff at her house and sometimes whenever we'd go there for dinner and stuff it'd be like a little ritual that like everyone would head upstairs after dinner and everyone would get their eyebrows and upper lips waxed and stuff this is a really interesting question because I'm thinking about the women in my family and 
I'm very light skinned, but relative to my family, I'm one of the hairier, darker skinned women on both my Mexican and Pakistani side. So I remember seeing it occasionally, like if you went to get your hair done, it would be like, oh, while you're laying over the sink, someone will also wax your eyebrows. But I don't really have strong memories of seeing other people get it done. Like my mom would usually do it when I did it as well. But one thing I do remember, actually, I remember like once in a while I'd come home and there would be like a single rose in in like a vase on our table. And my mom would be like, oh, I just went and got like my legs and bikini wax. And like, I always do this for myself. And I remember when I was younger thinking like, wow, when I finally do that, like I'm going to do the same thing, which is so random. That's so sweet. Hannah, why do you still choose to shave your face when Ooh. you don't shave the rest of your body hair? This is a goodie. Because oh. do I mean, you do your eyebrows as well? Or? Well, I haven't touched my eyebrows in like a year. Um, okay. And just, I mean, to be honest, they have a nice shape anyway. So I feel like, you know, I'm going to leave them. They, they are. Um, do. They yeah. look great. Oh, I wasn't even fishing then as well <laughs> I think being someone online who like is quite visible about like not shaving I feel like it invites people to be like well you're a hypocrite because you know you shave certain areas and not others but I think it really for me it comes down to like choice but to do with my face I'm not out here pretending like I'm like the most like decolonized person in the world and like nothing affects me and like whiteness is not it mm-hmm. isn't a thing to me like it fully is and I do I recognize that part of the reason that I shave my face is because I've got like literally I, the way I always describe it to people is like when I was younger my forehead I literally used to have like a skin fade from eyebrow to hairline and like really honestly like I'd su- I've such a hairy forehead if I don't shave it like it looks like you could it's very it's very very hairy um mm-hmm. so I do recognize that like part of the reason probably is because I am I am adhering to like Eurocentric beauty standards but yeah, at yeah. the same time like I'm not gonna lie like your makeup goes on nicer like my skin is better when I when I shave my face because obviously like it does get rid of like dead skin cells and stuff and I'm very big into skincare like I, I really like taking care of my skin and so it's kind of like a bit of both but yeah I think I'm I, I'm fully aware that there's like two sides to it where um I, I would definitely say that most of it is choice but I do reckon I see sort of the the sort of subconscious thinking and and how it does obviously stem from from that that sort of colonization type mindset um of sort of adhering to these things but to be honest there's so much conditioning that we have I think Mm -hmm. it's I think it's basically impossible to undo all of that like you know I'm like literally 24 like I've not been doing this very long (laughs) either so Oh my God. Also, at the end of the day, I think it's um, incredibly admirable that you're just so open about that and more people need to, like, nobody's perfect. There's no way to be completely, you know, decolonized. Like, what I just, what are you going to do? Move back to yeah. your homeland and exactly. live in a rural, like, live off the land. There's yeah. no... And that's the thing as well. We're, we're literally talking about, like, you know, in like in, in for South Asians for example we're talking about like 300 years of like conditioning like you can't just snap your fingers and get rid of all of it like it's just it's just and and especially because we live like we live in the west we live in such a western like dominant world where yeah you know, e- even if we were in India it would st- we'd still be under the same pressures because the west has such a like vice grip on the world so that's the thing I think it's yeah like record because I think at first I was like I didn't really want to I was a bit like, oh, should I mention it? Like, people want to call me out. But then I thought, you know what? Like, exactly what you said. Like, no one can do all of that, all, all of it. Like, it just doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. So I don't shave anything. Wow. Well, you know what? Actually, that's why sometimes I shave my pussy, but it, like, depends. So for me, <laughs> I'll give you a breakdown. So I do wax my eyebrows because I love having super thin eyebrows because of how it connects me to mm-hmm. Chicana culture. In Chola culture, tiny, thin eyebrows is like a huge part of our aesthetic. And the other thing mm. is my eyebrows physically, I'm 27 now. They don't grow back. They've been waxed since I was six or seven mm. on a bi-monthly basis. I remember when the like hairy eyebrow trend started happening, I was like, 
fuck y'all. I can't even do this. And this came from my culture. <laughs> Embracing having thin eyebrows connects me to my culture in a different way, which I love. My eyebrows are actually mm, kind of nice. thick right now because COVID yeah, and I've like haven't really – I mean, this is thick for me. And then I wax my upper lip because I like – have acne and so and like I get like closed comedal acne on my lip and then when I wax it it like Mm -hmm. helps it a lot but then I don't wax or shave my sideburns and I have like six really thick long hairs that grow occasionally if someone points them out I might be like oh will you pluck them for me just to like make them feel weird (laughs) and then I don't shave my legs I don't shave my pussy uh and I don't shave my happy trail which is like the picture that made me go viral but I do occasionally (laughs) like getting my pussy waxed because sex like it's just nicer for sex sometimes. But the, the one of the reasons I don't shave or wax is for sex work because or sex related work. I wouldn't say OnlyFans is necessarily like explicitly sex work. Sex work is like a really nuanced conversation and like involves mm-hmm. different levels mm-hmm. and different like um there's layers to it, right? So like I have an OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah. I have a bunch of subscribers who pay me money to see me being hairy. And I mind mm-hmm. the business that pays me in the good year of 2021. So if, <laughs> if me nice. wearing... I love that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, especially when I'm like, well, I'm, I'm locked up at home because it's a pandemic. Yeah, I'm going to just take hot pictures mm-hmm. of myself and like not go the extra mile to wax like because one my subscribers need me um to wank over mm-hmm. <laughs> and two <laughs> I need to get paid by them but they're also really sweet yeah, people yeah. like I'm not yeah. shading them yeah yeah so yeah occasionally I'll like <laughs> occasionally I'll like I, I I'm trying to remember the last time I shaved my legs oh I shave my legs when I get tattooed and I get tattooed pretty frequently because you have to shave in order to tattoo skin yeah, but even the leg thing, like, I feel like last year was like a, obviously, because everyone was at home last summer, or I feel mm. like loads of people wouldn't have shaved their legs, and I didn't either. And then, but I think even thinking about like this summer, like, I'm not gonna lie, I do enjoy the feeling of smooth legs. And then I feel like I'm yeah. sort of toying with maybe shaving my legs for the summer. And then, you know, and then, then again, there's that little voice that's like, yeah, but like, but you just stick on one side of it. But again, I think mm. it's just sort of remembering that Firstly, that little voice is bullshit. Mm. And secondly, like, I think if even the whole body hair conversation, like if you're doing it for the right reasons, I guess, like if you're doing it in a, in a more empowered way, then like there's nothing to be said about it. Like if it's something that you like sure. and it makes you feel happy and for whatever reason, I just, yeah, I, I don't see the, see the, you know, reason to then like jump on people and be like, you know, almost like police, like whether they do have yeah. body hair or not. So Right. Oh my god. Right. I think I think that's something that's really come up. I totally agree with what you're saying, Hannah. I remember this one time this like white girl at art school like saw that I had like shaved my armpits and I think it was I don't know why I did. Sometimes I just feel like doing it and I do. Um and she looked and was like, I'm sorry, feminism failed you. And I was like, you <gasps> need to go back to Ooh. the whole of second wave white feminism that you crawled out of and never oh. speak to me again. <laughs> oh, oh my God. <laughs> I didn't say that to her. I was probably like, oh, I disagree. And then walked away. But that's what I thought. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm horrified. God, she, by hi, that. She's vocal. You want to talk about like Instagram trends or hair positivity trends that have happened on the internet recently? In fact, both of you had unibrows or monobrows growing up. How do you feel about trends such as January, which I'd never heard of until we were researching this episode, and the unibrow movement that are often fronted by white women? That was a loaded question. I apologize. <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm not going to own it. Um, no, no. Yeah. You make it, you make many good points, but uh, yeah, I think it's just, I, I sort of, but like body hair positivity, like I guess it comes under the like big umbrella of body positivity, doesn't mm-hmm. it? And mm. I guess it was unsurprising to see it go in the same way. Like, you know, body positivity was very much something started by, you know, queer and trans black femmes mm-hmm. 
but mm. when the when the whole thing blew up it was just white women mm-hmm. so yep. to be honest I, was, I really wasn't surprised I saw it and was like oh figures it's just the erasure of the people who like actually struggled with these things or actually were, were like really discriminated against like on on a deeper level on a very racialized level mm-hmm. and they just get completely mm-hmm. left out of the conversation because it's not palatable like you know you, if you want to if, if, if you know and I guess we're all thinking the same thing like when Days put that thing out yeah they weren't thinking oh like you know this is you know ev- like, the thinking wasn't really everyone's beautiful we should you know we should tr- um platform that and celebrate that and normalize all these different things because they're only small things that don't really you know um shouldn't define who's beautiful or not but then it's like when you very specifically only choose like a model who went viral who for the most part it like you're and she's and even here there was like a lot of conversation about the fact that she was a you know Greek Cypriot no Cypriot oh I know this person I I definitely left some mean comments or something no I didn't leave mean comments but I supported people (laughs) leaving (laughs) um like I I yeah, yeah she she really um my friend who's a trans femme tried to call her in and she was really racially violent and it was horrible wow. yeah exactly and then and even when even when the conversation brought, got brought up that you know although yes all women can be hairy but you know on a when we think about it like you've been saying Russ, on like a more nuanced level like south asian and middle eastern women like it's a part of our racial stereotype to be hairy and we are dehumanized we're like defeminized because of mm-hmm. that and that is what i think the white women of the body positivity movement just couldn't get their heads around and Mm. it's not about leaving them out because you know and this is again it's like really it should be the mentality of like you know if one of us wins we all win but it's just not that like simple and you can't look at it like that because say if you know when we were then having these conversations afterwards I had people coming on my account saying you're oh you're only so you're saying only brown women can be hairy and it's like no bro I'm just saying that we get it the worst because we're hairy yeah and Mm. at the end of the day Mm. when we've gone through that much trauma growing up like even when we were talking earlier about saying about like you know the the kind of like low-key bullying that I had at school that like it's trauma Mm -hmm. like it sticks with you and, and, and it affects the way you see yourself and the way that you grow up and stuff and see your place in the world and they just and again it then it comes down to just because they're not at the forefront of it, they just can't take it. And I think that's, to be honest, everything to wrong with the whole body positivity movement mm-hmm. because, you know, give like give the credit where it's due, like the people who have really been through the shit and the people who, you know, and I'm, again, I'm not saying that white women reclaiming their features is any less significant, but at the same time, you have to recognise that what we're doing is actually fighting against a system that has like literally oppressed mm-hmm. us for centuries Right, and it's just not the same story, and you know, I guess it's just people just don't want to make space. When we express ourselves about it, it's inherently anti-colonial as well. It's it's decolonial, exactly. it's anti-colonial, right. and it's also like we are making nuanced statements about white supremacy and how that intersects with misogyny mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how that operates yeah. in within a system of power. So I completely agree with yeah. what you're saying, and. You know, I even think that it's important. Um, like I, I de- I'm a thin, light skinned. Like, even though I'm, I'm, you know, like, oh, like I'm a woman, and I am um, South Asian. I'm mixed race, and like I'm not perceivably white to most people. I guess like I have a lot of proximity privilege because of my positionality within, you know, the hierarchy of colorism, white supremacy, racism, et cetera, et cetera. So when my photo went mm-hmm. viral and people kept harking me as this, like, figurehead of a body positivity movement, I had not been a person online, and there's nothing wrong with doing this, but I am not a person online who's like, my page is about body positivity. It's like, no, I just happen to be hairy and love posting naked pictures of myself on the internet, right? So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> that it, it, it felt really difficult when I was named this person because I don't think I should be at the forefront of who drives this movement because like you were saying like this is a movement started by and for like trans black femmes and I know that like my flat stomach that's very hairy in that image um, is very palatable 
to like mm-hmm. the media and a Western audience because I'm still replicating standards that are based in mm-hmm. fatphobia and I'm still replicating like light skin privilege. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that's all true. But it is important that I exist and people like you exist too, Henna, because yeah. we do yeah. symbolize a type of representation that should be there. But it's about the positionality within the conversation that white women just never fucking think about and take up space in. Mm-hmm. The thing is that, yeah. as you said, Marissa, the space for everyone and it's not, yes, we can acknowledge that your experiences are way more extreme and embedded and systemic, but it doesn't mean that we're saying that those white women shouldn't be, their stories shouldn't be told. It's that yeah. everyone, this this whole conversation is so nuanced and so big that mm. it makes absolutely no sense to completely remove a group of people, not even one single group. You both have different backgrounds and different experiences, but there are multiple different stories to be told and only one single white palatable story is being told with that. Exactly. Yeah. This is, uh, you guys probably have heard of this story, but um, Chidira, aka the slum flower, if you haven't heard from her, mm. has become well known as a body hair activist. She had that campaign, which was Bring Back the Bush, where she received many comments from men on photos where her pubic hair was visible over her p- bikini line. And the comments were very telling about the female gaze. Many basically said it's not presentable and it should be shaved. How do you guys feel about that? And also, do you think it's because, you know, women of color, naturally your hair is a bit coarser and darker, so it maybe doesn't look as angelic as it would do? Can I use the word angelic for pubic hair? (laughs) As it would be for a woman of color. When we talk about pubic hair, I think it, I feel like it kind of comes down to the whole, like, beauty standards are, like, pedophilic like do you know what I mean? like 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 we're expected yeah. to look like children like because a woman isn't hairless you don't you don't have no pubic hair and you don't have a completely smooth as a baby's ass vagina like you just don't mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. The, I, I guess that's where my mind goes first but definitely agree with the with the whole as women of color like yeah we have coarser thicker probably in a lot of cases more of um pubic hair and I yeah I, I think it's just it speaks to sort of deeper and other sort of intersecting issues when it comes to like the male gaze because they don't realize it but they are asking us to look like kids yeah you know what I just saw something on Instagram today someone posted um it was like a meme or something but I I really related to it I think it was something like when it comes to the two you know if we're only speaking in the two cisgenders so men and women male and female um with females the beauty standards are only centered around girlhood which means that you know Mm. as you reach womanhood and you go through womanhood your beauty is deteriorating and everyone is women are seeking to return back to girlhood Mm. whereas with Mm. males they have boyhood Mm. and manhood and boyhood has the same effeminate um characteristics as girlhood but then they progress out of that Mm. and that is seen as a positive progression. I think that's important to note because we do live in a culture of pedophilia. And also mm-hmm. that um mm-hmm. that like progression into being distinguished is has a positive connotation like the George Clooney thing of like ooh sexy older salt and pepper guy. Mm-hmm. Um right. The only <laughs> equivalent that that exists um in terms of women um is the the, idea, the concept of the MILF, which is still like seen as sexually deviant. Mm. So, I mean, that says mm. it all. But yeah, then yeah. as we're discussing more nuance within like body positivity and how it applies to different standards of beauty, I think it, like I keep coming back to this kind of centering of choice that you're bringing up, Hannah, that I think is really important. Like for me online, I'm really open about the fact that like I get lip fillers, I've had plastic surgery, I can't move my forehead. I'm full of Botox. Like that's all my choice. (laughs) And that intersection doesn't take away from the things about me that, that do represent body positivity, because ultimately I'm making choices about what I want to do with my body, which harks back to the idea Mm -hmm. of autonomy. So Mm -hmm. like kind of responding to what you were saying about Mm -hmm. Chidera's campaign is, yeah, I don't have much to say about that other than like, go fucking figure men think that. And like, that's why it's so important. (laughs) for like women and femmes to just reclaim their bodies in any way 
that they feel they need to, whether it's, you know, for me, it's tattooing, it's choosing whether or not I do things with my hair, it's doing my makeup, like those are all things that connect me to my body and my culture and also allow me to simultaneously express myself. Like other people get to see that because I am perceived by the world, especially having a big platform. But it starts off from a point of what do I want? We can't not talk about the fact that, you know, during lockdown, people have been letting things grow. I haven't shaved my armpits. I'm going to cut through them saying this on the podcast, but I haven't shaved my armpits for the whole (laughs) over a year and have been thinking about whether or not I'm going to leave it or not. But, you know, we wanted to get maybe predictions from both of you as to whether you think that as a result of this prolonged lockdown, we know, you know, shout out to Stacey Solomon, who said that she's not going to shave her legs until um, <laughs> lockdown finally ends. Do we think that there'll be a positive impact on how women feel about their body hair? Because they've kind of spent this time just like, I don't know, li- living with it and learning to accept it. Yeah, I think thinking optimistically, I would love to think that that would happen. Mm. But I'm not going to lie, I think in the in in practice, once everyone gets back out there, like, I just feel like the pressures will come in just like they did before. And mm-hmm. um, I think we'll see a lot of people still still conforming. But I mean, I thought that's really pessimistic. But I, I do think if I'm being realistic, I do think that that will be the case in in like a lot of cases. But I do think there'll definitely be some people who will have felt more empowered and felt more like they want to make the choice with their body. And I think a really nice outcome would just be that thinking about every woman and femme actually just being a bit more conscious about it and thinking, what do I actually want to do with my body? And then doing that. Um, I think that would be a really nice, a nice result from, from this lockdown. It's kind of given us the time to get comfortable again, you know? Yeah. It's almost like, because with me and my, now I'm even thinking about my armpit hair. I'm like, what do I want to do? And why do I want to do it? Why do I want to shave my armpit hair? And actually it's because I'm, I don't, I feel embarrassed by it, which is probably something that I need to spend some time like working through. Mm. But Marissa, what do you think? <sighs> I like that sigh. <laughs> I love that sigh. <laughs> it's, <sighs> it's, it's my processing sigh. I think I agree <laughs> with a, like a mm. lot of what you said, Hannah. So my, what first comes to my mind is that because of the pandemic, we have such a heightened awareness of the public versus the private mm-hmm. now. The private mm-hmm. for women and femmes is like so important because like our grooming rituals and everything that we do to maintain the mystique of womanhood is supposed to be done behind closed doors, right? So yeah. I think that as the world begins to reopen again in in the UK anyway, um, that's not happening in the global south slash ne- never did. Um, anyway. Mm-hmm as things evolve and we're going to be in more quote unquote normal circumstances, that heightened awareness of being perceived by other people in real time, I think will cause people to double down on beauty treatments. And we've already seen that Mm. in the beauty industry, the rate of people getting work done on their face um, has skyrocketed. Mm. Like um, business is booming for aestheticians um, because, and I think that has to do as well with like how much we see ourselves on Zoom or other platforms and video calling, but then also Mm. how we're so stuck with our own image. I think it's going to get worse on a whole scale. I think people will be more upset with that part of their body because in becoming more socially anxious, we'll have a heightened conception of how we're seen i still give a fuck in certain regards like i mostly don't but i often do um sorry the dog is crying um hero (laughs) there he is come here his mom just left he's so there's no way you're gonna have to give him a treat (laughs) oh that's a good idea he's so sad okay okay let's go on an adventure anyway let me try and finish my train of thought Basically, I think it's going to get worse, but I do think some people will have like, I don't know, hopefully people who are like present on the internet and like uh, are tuned into channels that promote body positivity in in the realms of like body hair and stuff will um, have a new kind of confidence with those things. But I think people who aren't like on as much of a like journey into self-expression and their own identity uh, and exploring that and uh, becoming more comfortable with oneself, which some people don't ever really do. Um, 
probably won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Fashion brands such as ASOS, Adidas, yeah. all these models suddenly on e-com we've noticed have changed their way of thinking when it comes to body hair. So now you can go on ASOS and you can notice that women have armpit hair, they have navel hair, their legs aren't shaved, and they're trying to help normalize body hair on women. Do you think if more brands did that, it would make a difference? Or do you not think it starts with, I always sometimes think, does it start with the brands or does it actually just start with the people? Like, do we need brands to normalize it? Hannah, what do you think? I I feel like even as you say that, the people have influenced what the brands are doing in the first Mm -hmm. place. So Mm -hmm. um, I definitely think it's like, you know, the the, the people who are more visible um, online, sort of, I guess, demanding that. And, and, you know, just sort of, it's like the it's like dropping a stone in the lake yeah like you know mm-hmm. the, the ripple effect and I feel like this is the the result of the ripple effect mm-hmm. which is which is cool I know that when I've um, been on ASOS or something and you know been scrolling and you see something it does like make you think oh, oh look at that <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah and, and it, it does make you feel good enough I, I, I do think they 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 can do a lot definitely when it comes to changing perceptions and normalizing. Mm-hmm. I suppose there's an yeah, opportunity true. in the grooming space as well because I can't remember what the name of the brand is. When we're doing our research, there's a US razor brand that actually depicts yeah, oh, yeah. I like, yeah, I like them. images of women shaving different parts of their body. I think there was like a, the, the woman shaving her stomach. It's quite interesting that the most disruptive thing that we've seen within the grooming space is still with relation to hair removal. I wonder whether there's an opportunity mm. for like, you know, why hasn't someone brought out pube oil for women to make your pubes more gentle? And stuff? That, that exists. Like, oh, oh, does it? <laughs> that do be existing. Okay. Um, really? Yeah, I think, oh my God, I forget the name of the brand. I think I messaged them once they aired me, but <laughs> they, it was some shark tanker, like one of those evil capitalist Ooh, um, like wow. investment shows someone started a brand that's based around that so yeah that that's a thing but it's obviously we haven't heard of it and we're like keenly aware of this conversation mm-hmm. so that says a lot right. you know what I mean like who's that being right. marketed to is it like yeah. white women whose pubes are like really straight already and like kind of soft or whatever because mm-hmm. <laughs> what does right. that mean right last question the question that we ask all of our guests at the end of every episode um which is marissa i think we'll go with you first marissa when did you first realize that you were beautiful thank you <laughs> just call me beautiful when did you're i the, first you're the first person that's actually acknowledged that really yeah that's so the true question is like, is, <laughs> you're the first person we're to ever acknowledge the it because we're call, we're saying that you're beautiful and nobody, has, the nobody has gets realized that. that they're like oh no. i think i don't think i i have realized and i'm like but I just told you that you are. Mm, we just called. Well, yeah. Well done, Marissa. <laughs> Sorry, gone. No, that's. Thank you. That's really nice. Um, hey, you're doing <laughs> I, I hope that the dog whinging will probably end up in the podcast, but I'm telling a dog that the dog is yeah. beautiful as well. And he's still complaining because he's a Pisces. When did I first realize, damn, you should have like prepped me for this before so I could have like taken a nice trip down trauma yeah, lane? Literally, I'm. Um, yeah (laughs) Uh, when did I first realize I was beautiful um fuck man uh I think it's been a really gradual process I used to avoid getting my picture taken like the plague when I was younger I hated being in front of a camera I think when I first started like having my friends take pictures of me and um, dressing up and going out, um, especially in like London's like queer scene. That I think that was kind of like when I was like, "Damn, I I feel." I, I, that was the first time actually I felt hot. Actually, I I think like I had a kind of cognitive idea in like like where logically I knew that people found me attractive and people had called me beautiful. And even though I didn't necessarily believe mm-hmm. them, I factually knew that might be correct. Um, so I was able to identify that from like probably my early 20s. Um, but then feeling beautiful was a different thing for me. So I guess, yeah, knowing probably early 20s, uh, late teens even maybe, um, which probably came from some like unfortunately like attention from like men or people who wanted to fuck me. Um, 
but then Mm -hmm. evolved into feeling beautiful uh, later in life. So, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Hannah, what about you? Such a beautiful response, Hannah. Yeah, that was. How am I going to follow that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, to be fair, I, I think I agree with what Marissa said in a lot of ways of, I think knowing and feeling it was two different, two different kind of moments. But I mean, a moment that sticks out to me is was like when I was like 16 and I got my braces off and I feel like I re- then was like, I literally felt the baddest bitch on the block because I was like, wow, <laughs> like my teeth was so peng. And but I do think it was because I attached being unattractive to like having bad teeth mm-hmm. for so long that when they then came off, I was like, oh my God, all my problems are fixed. But obviously it wasn't as simple as that. I think feeling beautiful for me was, lots of things came into it. I think it was settling into my body properly like accepting the fact that I was never going to be skinny Mm. but then also seeing it in more of a positive light light, like I think in my like sort of early 20s when I think I kind of really like settled into like my womanly body I guess Mm. I think realizing that but then yeah unfortunately it is also like male attention it does it does kind of I guess like cognitively confirm to you like yeah you are paying Mm -hmm. but I think yeah really feeling it I think was definitely yeah I think sort of feeling feeling more comfortable and accepting my body and also like my identity in terms of like my culture and stuff. I think when I started embracing that more and really making more effort to actively see the beauty in myself, because obviously like, you know, right. being a being a dark skinned Asian definitely obviously has those like, you know, you get told you're ugly and stuff. And obviously all the light skinned girls are obviously all the pretty ones. And um, so, yeah, I think when I changed my mindset and like really actually started actively looking for the beauty in myself I did find it which was nice and I feel like I'm still on that journey so it's um yeah that's beautiful god you guys those were deep responses (laughs) (laughs) the the deep response is very impressive so you guys we have we have kept you guys questions (laughs) (laughs) so because Piero needs you back just before you go Marissa where can people find you on the internet my god men are so needy right um people can find me on the internet especially pisces men as you said oh my god they're the worst i've never endeavored into that because i refuse um where can people find me on the internet um i'm mostly present on instagram and twitter my handle on both is marimals m-a-r-i-i-m-a-l-s I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Definitely more angry on Twitter, if that's your thing. But yeah, both handles are henna underscore speaks. Those two women speak so strongly and so passionately about body hair. And it made me actually think about if I should keep shaving, epilating, waxing, everything. I'm going to be super honest and say probably am. But at least I thought about it and questioned why I do it. What happened for you in that conversation? I mean, I have to make a confession. At the time of recording, I actually hadn't shaved my armpits since lockdown one. And Mm. I have since epilated. In fact, I've removed all of the standard body hair from the locations. Um, And I don't know what came over me. And I'm a bit disappointed in myself because I felt like I'd been holding strong and then one day got my epilator out and just whizzed it all off. I'm not mad at you for it because you know what? You got to do what you got to do. Mm. I personally, I don't have, I mean, I don't, I don't have hair on my arms at all really or on my legs, but my armpits and my upper lip and pubic hair, obviously I do out of cleanliness. It makes me feel cleaner. Mm. I always feel a bit sweatier and a bit smellier just personally so I think everyone's got to do what sort of works for them, yeah. regardless of then being shamed for doing it and then unshamed for not doing it. You know what I mean? 100%. And actually, I'm now ashamed of shaming myself and other people who made that decision. <laughs> because actually, the biggest takeaway from that conversation was that it's about choice. It's about freedom yeah. of choice. Yeah. And I think it's the same as when we're talking about wigs and weaves and you know leaning towards straight hair like as long as you're making that decision truly for yourself and it's not because you're trying to conform well even if you are trying to conform that is a survival in itself but yeah just do you do you exactly I kind of think that 
in this day and age where we've got to be openly publicly about everything I think do what you're comfortable with I think that's definitely what I took away and I think Henna and Marissa are so passionate about sort of pro-choice and mm-hmm. doing what you want and how you feel and I think it's beautiful they both they both spoke so eloquently I feel like I learned a lot yeah oh my god I learned so much I think the biggest thing that I learned um which I hope our listeners also felt the same is the experience of uh, the Latinx community and actually the Mm. the correction of that like do not say Mm. Latino Latina it's all about Mm. all Hispanic Mm -hmm. Latinx Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but I have to say I was reflecting over uh, sorry on that um, on the experience of the Latinx community, particularly when it comes to body hair, I found a great story on Allure um, that came out, I think, a few weeks ago, which I'll link, we we will link in the show notes, um, just going more into the experiences of the Latinx community. It's obviously a US-based title, so it's, it cool. comes from a US perspective. I actually haven't read it, so I'd really love to read it as well. I'd love to learn more about the Latinx community, which we should use their right wording as well. Mm-hmm. I think in a world now where we use every single gender that's correct or every single person from every single race that's correct I also think that that's an important one I actually and learned ethnicity. when I did a job because Latinx is not say, a race I a job. yeah I did a job a couple of uh about six months ago and I remember saying oh we've got this um we've got a couple of Somalians and the guy was like we're not Somalians we're Somali I was like I didn't actually know that thanks for correcting me and now I know that you have to you say Somali you don't say Somali that's not Ooh. a thing so w- um, what's the plural yeah. We've got a couple of Somali, so Somali. people. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, it's not Somalian. Yeah, yeah. So I learned that. Out. So yeah, definitely. Right to use the right, um, the right and correct way of calling people by their race or ethnicity. Yeah, I agree. The story is called "Embracing My Body Hair as a Latinx Person." So I will link it in the show notes. But please do read it. It's super interesting and really yeah. diverse perspectives that are out there. Um, I guess on that note, should we call it a day? We should. Until next time. Until next time. The Unbraid Podcast is hosted by Chi Yufuriyama and Basma Khalifa. Produced by Kadeen Bissett and Ayo Sule. Our artwork was created by Xenia Geller and soundtrack by Enoch Kolo. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, make sure you've subscribed on your chosen podcast listening platform. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, don't forget to rate us so more people can find us. And follow us on at Unpretty Podcast on Instagram and Twitter for more updates. Until next time.